When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to Drifter Sympathy on SBI Audio. This season is made possible through the generous support of Patreon subscribers. To become a patron, visit Drifter Sympathy on Facebook and hear more music at holysons.bandcamp.com. It's 1994 on a beautiful summer day. I'm staring across the room at a reel-to-reel machine. It had been left there by a friend of my mother's, the head of some natural wildlife preserve. He was making CDs of rainforest animals. A new band had moved to town a couple years before and called themselves Arches of Loaf. Their first 7-inch hit the town like an explosion. Every time you'd go into someone's room, the song called South Carolina was always playing. It seemed like this world of communication was just right within reach. All I had to do was get off the couch and just join them. Just make what was in my head, that's all I had to do. But something was paralyzing me. In my fevered fantasy world, I would walk across the room, hit record on the reel-to-reel machine, and pause it into the world, an immaculate cover of Down in the Boondocks. It just seemed like a great idea. While the world was raging outside and people were having fun, I could not visualize a way in which I could be part of anything. So over joints, I picked up my guru's guitar and taught him how to play the boondocks because he actually had a venue to perform. He had a career ahead of him in my mind. His voice was going to sound better on the song anyway because he knew how to emote things so that you didn't even pay attention to him. They just sounded eternal. And he put his hands down, started practicing, and took it back to Boston, and it became a fucking hit. Every night I will watch the light from the house up on the hill. I love a little girl that lives up there, and I guess I always will. But I don't dare knock on her door, cause her daddy is my boss man. So I'll just have to be content to see whenever. Okay, Hit might be a little bit of an overestimation, but his band played it every show. 
Maybe too much, actually. I remember him saying that one of the kids in the crowd said, don't play that anymore. I don't want to hear the boondocks. Regardless, I would have to wait about 20 years until my version even fucking came out. So I'm trying to bring you back to a point of total misery here. It's important for the story. Every kid knows that point where they're just waiting and waiting and waiting to live. And if you told them that they would have to wait 20 years to fucking live their life, you'd have to put them on suicide watch immediately. But the beauty of this is that no one knows what the fuck's going to happen. When you're young, you just have a vague gray horizon stretching out forever in front of you. And the nighttime comes again, and it's time to get tanked to try to forget how stupid this whole pursuit is. So you wander back over to your friend's house, the house you will soon burn down, slam the door open to look for beer, and as usual, they're blaring South Carolina. After school, I'd rush home and either record until it was time to sleep or run over to Ron's living room where he would be totally comfortable offering me all sorts of monumental life advice. One of his main ideas was that I should record an undeniable hi-fi masterpiece like Dark Side of the Moon. He was pretty sure that was a good idea. I wouldn't have taken that seriously at all, though, because Ron's main calling towards music was the sophisticated art of air guitar and absurd faces while he would stare into your eyes as he was soloing around his living room. I tried to explain the art of home recording to him one time, and I put on this song. Do you hear the sound of sweet things going down? Or is it quite simply my imagination? Killing off the heroes just for spite. Dead heroes are perfect heroes dead heroes are perfect heroes and he just turned it off denounced it as total garbage immediately i mean this was unquestionable garbage and he went back to pumping his like nine minute guitar solos but maybe ron got inside me because for my 16th birthday I asked my mom for a few hundred dollars to go down to the local studio and I made my first studio record. To keep it on the cheap, they do this thing where you could record from midnight all the way to the sun coming up. I brought in the batch of songs I had from the last few weeks and I walked in and just started my assembly line just like I record at home. I begin with drums because that sets the skeleton up and the drumming sounds natural that way. 
And the first thing the engineer says, being the one with the control who is older and running the show, he says, we can't do drums first. And I say, why? And he's like, I don't know. That's just not how records are made. So he forces me to make the record backwards by recording guitar and then trying to guess how the drums fall under the guitar. You know, a lot of young people have to deal with this kind of war against the engineer. I'd never had to do it before, so I didn't know what to say. I just did what he said. Needless to say, what came out of there was way too good. Like, in my mind, I thought I could do all the shit they do on MTV by myself, but I don't want it to sound like that. So I went home, and I technically never listened to the tape again. I know I played it for my friend James once, just because he had come by the studio and played bass on one of the songs. But somehow a copy of the tape got out and landed in the hands of some kids I definitely wouldn't have wanted to have it. I'd be at a stoplight in town and someone would say, hey, I like that song. I'd be like, Jesus, that shit's terrible. The sad part is in college I get these letters from a journalist who had found the tape and it was the one person that encouraged me and supported me and was curious and would say I'm going to give it to this label and that label and every time I get these messages I go down to the library and read my first emails from this guy who had somehow stolen it from his older brother, who was like a musician at my high school. I don't know how he got this tape. But it was so embarrassing to me. I just really wanted him to burn it. So I was like, I'll send you all this new stuff I've made, which was just resolutely, totally lo-fi. And the guy would never react to it. He's just like, let's talk more about this tape. He ended up writing this groundbreaking, like, master's level essay about the philosophical implications of the lo-fi movement that name-checked me and Mountain Goats and a few other early religiously driven practitioners. It was the biggest compliment anybody had ever given me, but I had gone in there wanting to sound like Smasher Head on the punk rock. I had gone in thinking, I had this thing inside of me that could be reflected. And so I was ashamed that this had occurred. I was embarrassed if it was commercial. I think a lot of young people have this experience where they reach out and try to express themselves and something goes wrong and they never want to turn back and experience that again. And the saddest part of this story is that about 15 years later, I remember being in my attic in Portland, Oregon, depressed, and I received this random email, and it was the fucking engineer from that session, 15 years later, and he was just so effusively saying, I can't believe I found you, it took me forever, and I found your name, and got your email somehow, and I just wanted to tell you that was the best thing I've ever recorded in my life. And I just thought, that is so sad. I mean, here I am 15 years later, and I have no help, and I'm alone, again, still. And here's somebody finally saying, we could have done something together that was great, but I didn't even like that. I just thought, not only is this idea impossible, but my music is terrible. Going off to college would be the opposite of going to the big city and risking total embarrassment, so as there's nothing to lose, it almost seemed easier to just give up.
Being totally isolated would force anyone to have to look in the mirror and realize on the most molecular level, what am I doing? Not how will I support myself or when will the world finally understand me, but what will redeem you privately, your experience, what will justify it? At this point, nothing can move forward. Everything has to stop and you fall backwards into the worst part. So you have to swim down into the pit of the pain. And when I was down there, I noticed the only one person seemed to be making me feel better at all because he was down there too. Johnson created a new watermark for expression in itself. No longer was it just good enough to make something that sounded impressive. Anyone who's ever stared at the ceiling fan and felt that specific silence that depression cultivates would immediately recognize that emotional reality accelerated greatly in the handheld recordings Daniel Johnson made while he was in the mental institution. The arrival of recordings this raw signifies a tectonic shift in the history of music in the sense that now we have this new genre that helps your mental health. It's not to be listened to in the same way. This is recuperative music. When the true functionality of his music was revealed to me, I could finally see that this was different than every other record in the record store because this was unimpeachably real. He's showing you the most interesting things about yourself are actually down in this pit that you've had to swim to to find out what's causing this dissonance. Throughout our lives, we look for ways to get respect and attention, like any child that wants love. And through the mode of songwriting, through the mode of self-introspection, Daniel Johnston puts a flashlight up on a road that is paved by your pain. It is paved by the things you wanted to hide, and that road leads to the place where you will relate with other people. Maybe there are points where you have to stop and realize that you're in some sort of medical emergency every few years. It started to seem natural to live in your bathrobe, not go outside for maybe a month. People start to look at you with a kind of wonder and avoiding people becomes a full-time job. There's no great disdain for them it's just that they're a different species 
altogether kind of uninteresting. If you do float off this earth, if you are disconnected to everything, it becomes comfortable after a while because your sustenance doesn't come from the things down there. And in this place, you find your own world and maybe a little bit of peace for the first time. If you shut the door completely and you establish some sovereignty, what was once loneliness or something to be afraid of melts into an actual place to be, the thing you didn't think you had before. In this chamber, you are the governor, you are the king. There's a superpower in being alone. This is a world of total confidence. You know what you know. You're the expert on your existence. Now you leave mommy and daddy behind. You leave all your influences behind. You are actually you. From this place, I could broadcast. From this place, I knew the molecular structure of my reality. So this environment, defined by total chaos, becomes a structural ground that makes sense to me. Chaos is dependable. The sun is up and look at me. How can a person tell if he is a target of something? 
like any decent artist, I was scared that I wasn't worthy of being part of the larger conversation. But from the depths of the most pathetic place I could fall to, I found the absence of meaning and the rules of that netherworld a source of decent content. With Daniel Johnson as a watermark, these four years of college stretched out in front of me. And instead of being your normal teenager that wants to be heard and wants to scream and jump around and get attention, it was becoming shockingly obvious that in order to say anything interesting, one had to get into the business of exposing themselves in order to hopefully expose something about the larger condition we're all in. This would now turn your life's expression into an avant-garde project, a total rigorous documenting of the emotional crippling you're experiencing and maybe the road to recovery if there is one. Take a lesson from the masters. What do you think Van Gogh draws from? Where does Rimbaud mine for content? Why does Daniel Johnston record every bit of his molecular existence? Because he looks tirelessly for an answer within these four walls of himself. start to pull away from everyone, you'll notice they begin to guilt trip you about going and being alone. And they think that you should be with the group and the crowd. It always seemed like the more you drift into being strong in yourself, people around you start to accuse you of a kind of narcissism. And one of the hallmarks of drifting further out into the deep end of artistry is everybody thinking that you're going too far into yourself. They keep trying to pull you out and get you to slap on the same fucking happy face. But the real lightning bolt that's hitting you is ironically, your instincts are pulling you towards this place of truth. The deeper and farther you go into that womb, where things are pure, that is the same place that's gonna lead you back to them. You may have to pity other people who do not trust themselves, losing out on the most wise, important part of their life, their own instincts. So while it looks like an artist is driven into themselves to celebrate themselves, I don't think that's what's happening. I think that they have a deep-seated need to find a way to communicate with the outside world, and they want to bridge the gap. Certainly, artists get hung up and halted along this process all the time. I mean, there's people disseminating messages of total sickness out there, but the idea is that if you cracked the code and you went all the way, you would end up in this place of isolation that would deliver you.
at school, all the other students existed in their own plane. At night, they would go to bed, and I would be alone to finally get to do the kind of research I needed to do. Creeping around, climbing over the fence of the chapel. They had a massive pipe organ. Its pipes stretched all the way across the ceiling of the church. And I would plug it in, get out my four track, and compose ultimate suicidal mini operas for myself. I remember one time looking down and seeing the legs of some ultra-depressed kid lying down in the back of the pulpit. He'd been there the entire time listening to these hyper-terrified sad anthems. I always wonder what would have gone through his mind. Now I have the luxury of looking back without all the pain obscuring every moment. And in a somewhat unrealistic way, I see myself as lucky because the thing I was looking for, which was something relevant to share with other people, came to me in the worst possible form. But what really is the experience of discovering the truth? Is it a totally glorious thing? Like a Hollywood film, does the sun just shine down on you and you are revealed the Holy Grail as depicted in some sort of Indiana Jones moment? Or do the existentialists have a point? Can the moment that you are hit with the full impact of your existence and your responsibility be coupled with a feeling of total horror? Certainly when we ask everybody what the major turning points in their life are, they often will point to death, tumultuous change, heartbreak, all the things that force a major movement. And this is why the birth of our true self is almost by law a painful experience. You wouldn't just have a prophet that wandered out on a beautiful day and had intense commentary on the world and the state of things just for sport. Their knowledge comes from being burned in the fire. This is one of the oldest concepts that if you have to have the kingdom of heaven, if you really, really need it, then you'll get it. If your intention is pure, this is the gospel of total immersion. This is the oracle that has to be walked through for the birth of an artist, for the birth of really anyone that's trying to burn away all their conditioning, everything obscuring their true purpose, and the ability to get down to a place where they can speak with a true gravity. Someone once implied that Jimi Hendrix was born with this perfect gift. And I remember reading a response that said that was a massive insult to the amount of work and life's practice that went into becoming the person that he was. In other words, the real rewards come after total immersion and self-sacrifice. The idea of Buddha ending up at the Bodhi tree is that this is the very, very end of the line. This is death. You don't just get reborn without dying. Life's a joke 
smile I think we've got I think we've got one more mile There's probably several moments in every little kid's life where they're sure they will become a world-renowned artist. And they can set off on that path in the need for affirmation from others. But the true revelation comes in private when they realize that viewing yourself in a hyper-real moment by way of the mirror of art accelerates your internal growth and informs your own mastery of being alive. This is the difference between entertainment and art in the sense that entertainment is part of the exterior presentation that essentially tricks other people through movie magic, but as you learn art from the very beginning steps, you see its worth. You see what it's for, and you know when you're committing fraud, and you know when you're being real. That's something you can't escape.
at the most immediate point, we're going through something in that moment, in that day. And then above that, there are several circles building out, each with different themes involved in whatever illusions we have that we've built through the architecture of our own self-definition. Somewhere high above all of these cycles that are running through our bloodstream might be the God's truth, the God's eye view, a kind of integrated picture of what's actually going on and not just whatever phase we're going through. The beauty of a song is that it encapsulizes all three of these things. It's born of the immediate moment and it has that urgency in it but it's also developed upon themes that are above you from that week, from that month. The things you've been thinking and digesting, hearing and reading are inside your bloodstream. And then somewhere, if you're lucky, if the song is pure or comes from a real place, it also has reality inside of it too. This photo book of the things we express very much like Neil Young's entire discography, is snapshots of our development, each with little lies inside of them, but with this bigger picture being expressed over time. That's a wildly accurate, beautiful illustration of the truth of growing up. In sports and science, you can't have inaccuracy being part of the beauty the ball either goes in the basket or it doesn't. In art, inaccuracy is part of the process. Each song could be an attempt to put your hands in the wall to lift yourself up out of whatever illusion you've fallen prey to and just missing the wall and hanging back and almost falling is still beautiful in art. Even if illusion has fueled you, there's still some kind of success in being honest about it. another round for the cosmic boxer boxing his own shadow the whole day through in a ring set out in the sun that seemed like a cocoon so many times was it wound round with hangman's rope he would find a way through But song He would find a way through But song His was the victory Over the throbbing cell Concealed beneath his cloak The cosmic boxer And in stars Defeat was often in his eyes It's true he viewed the cocoon with despair Yet Buckstone He would find a way through Buckstone He would find a way through Buckstone There must be some natural upswing to being alone for so long that you gain a kind of euphoria. Isolation turns into a kind of power over your domain. I had no excuse anymore. I had four years to run these concentric circles until they paid off, did something for me. 
Development is not fast. You have to drag somebody through this shit. Kicking and screaming each day, each tape, each month, each year. My dad gave me a four track in 1989 when he was just perusing thrift shops and knew that I was starting to play music. So for 10 years, I learned what it was I wanted to do with that thing. And while other kids were running out into the world and ready to present themselves, I saw no place for me. And I'd love to claim that I was being rebellious and this wasn't a sad tale, but it was totally clear to me that that wasn't my field, that I wasn't supposed to be in the world. I was supposed to live in private and learn to understand myself. One day, my friend said, I got a car. Do you want to go to a record store? And I thought, why not? I haven't done that in a very long time. Crazy Jeff's friend had started a record store downtown, right on the main boulevard. I didn't even know what to expect, actually. I was just going down there because they had gone to prison together and met in prison. Out of the cockiness of my benevolent introduction into music and still high off of my guru's ideas and all the sonic things he hadn't even gotten to do yet that I wanted to hear him do, that I was trying to make real, It never occurred to me that someone might have made any good music in the four years that I wasn't paying attention. That didn't even cross my mind. So I walk in the record store, and at this time, it's 1999, I'd hit my stride. I was the happiest I'd been musically in my life. I had just cut a drunk version of Neil Young's Let's Go Downtown like the night before. Having achieved my own little sonic world, having finally gotten to a place where I felt like I had my own little island, something to say, I was riding, if not high, relatively healthy all of a sudden, feeling like I might be able to 
make something that represents where I'm really coming from and live with it. So we pull into the record store and I mean, intrinsically, I'm just coming from a cocky place, I suppose. I figure everybody's just into shit college music and I've got the jump, I guess. So not knowing what to look for, I hit the seven inch bin first and I guess I saw this Elliot Smith kid's name and I just thought, I think I remember him from something, but I don't know what. And I just threw the needle down on this first track. I'm just like, you know, I can see where this kid is coming from. He's playing all the instruments too. And it sounds like he's recording himself and he's having his own magical double tracked vocal moments across the country, you know, that I hadn't even heard of thinking that no one cared about this anymore, thinking nobody wanted to hear it. And I could tell that the second people heard this, they would identify with it and feel like it was theirs. This almost seems unbelievable, but then I move over to the CDs and I see the new record by this guy named Will Oldham, who was the favorite of my ex-girlfriend from the Reckless Liberation episode. I thought he was good. Everybody thought all these guys were good. But my ego wasn't prepared to realize how great they'd become in the time that I hadn't been paying attention. So like God had arranged this humbling day, I moved from speed trials to I see a darkness in less than three minutes. Sweet thing, I give you what I Taking what I had to teach And we rendered it with such With such With such Oh, it don't rain anymore my wounds I suppose I took refuge in the S section and probably saw the name Smog thinking this would be a familiar face and I would be comforted because when I was in high school I'd bought a record called Forgotten Foundation and sort of convinced myself well this guy's just like me no big deal 
of all the thousands of home tapers that had sprung up in that very early bit of the early 90s, it was very hard to stand out. People always would respond to lo-fi like, oh, well, that's easy to do. No, you're wrong. You've got it in your head that there's some kind of immediate atmosphere that comes from decrepit, cheap recordings. It's actually the opposite. You're totally, completely exposed in all of your mundanity. It's like as a kid when they make you use a tiny baseball glove when you're catching in the outfield just to train you so that when you get to the game, your glove will be that much bigger and it'll be that much easier for you. The lo-fi methodology was perceived as this kind of farm team experimental ground. Even by a lot of the icons and the practitioners, they thought they were just issuing some kind of calling card of their potential talents. But that doesn't make any sense to me. As a listener, this is a piece of art and it stands the test of time, certainly much better than a lot of the commercial attempts that people would move on to later. Looking back now, we have this incredible American document of what hardcore became, essentially the rawest of the raw, moving into an even more intimate, private zone. Who the fuck wouldn't want that in their hands? So being sure that Smog was just like me and there wasn't anything to be threatened by because he was simply trying to pass his days in the same therapeutic way. I didn't think he was reaching out for international acceptance as the next Leonard Cohen, but I was fucked when I assumed these things. Soon we'll all be Back in the yard Behind the walls Living hard Dreaming of cool rivers And tall grass Constantly on trial just sitting there confused where did all these people get this technology or the funding where have I been what happened how did I miss all this and all I can think is what the fuck am I gonna do I've been living up in the hills and it was certainly good for me but now, I've got a whole new mountain to climb. 